Learn something good. It means nothing unless you do something with it. Welcome to the B1 Mindset Podcast. This episode was taken from the Mindset Tune-Up Show where Ben interviewed this week's guest, Hake, and talks to him all about how he finds balance and embraces change with whatever hurdles life throws at him. If you want to find links to the book that Hake's written or the B1 Mindset website, then be sure to check out the show notes where you can find details of this and equally where you can subscribe to the YouTube channel to become one of our B1 community members tuning in to hear our range of guest speakers and also take part in our conversation. If you do enjoy this episode and you have time to leave a rate and review, it will really help the show. But for now, let's dive into this latest episode of the B1 Mindset Podcast. Yes, guys, so we are live. Uh, for episode number two of Mindset Tune Up. Um, and I'm absolutely kind of like nervously excited, as you can probably tell uh, in my voice, um, with the guests that we've got on tonight. Again, um, I get, got a book for Christmas and I, and I put this in a post recently uh, on social about my mum having it. She's obviously had a massive impact on my life, my mum, but she's got a real knack of giving me books at the right times. So it just really resonates. Not just giving me a book that's good, but a book that just that resonates with the time in my life, and and, and it's so unusual that um, to 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 con- she's continually done that now for five years. It's just it's been an it's been an incredible thing, and um, she bought me a book for Christmas um, called the the Power of Mindset, and it's something that I've read once and then I've gone back into again, which is something that I do with any time I read. I try to read it all the way through first and I'll go back through and start to try to apply the things that I think can make an impact on my life. Um, so tonight, guys, I'm going to bring um, Hike in, in a moment. Um, and tonight is not going to delve too much into the book. I've highlighted some key things that I wanted to talk about because I always want to do is I want to highlight things that I feel can help other people. And again, I can't re- recommend this book enough um, for life improvement and to understand mindset and how to kind of really take control and he he does, I'm not going to go into it until I bring him in, but he does really go into some key techniques that you can use. And I I put another post out recently about a lot of people are creating awareness around um, the the mind, but I don't feel there's enough techniques that are being shown to be applicable to this day and age that you can really implement to improve your life. Um, And I think Hikes kind of nailed it in this book, if I'm truly honest. So I'm excited to, to speak. So I'm going to bring him in now. Um, so uh, I'm going to pronounce his surname. We just had a conversation about this from the back. Uh, but Hike Tedvosian is going to come into the room now. I think I got that slightly wrong. But Hike, how are we doing, my man? Thank you for joining me tonight. Good. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate you um, asking me to be on your show. It's a truly an honor. And uh, I look forward to having a good conversation with you today. Um, actually, as you were saying in the intro about your mom, I was thinking about like, hey, my mom, Never gave me a book, but she's been very good at sharing like biblical stuff with me growing up, you wow. know. So, so I had that literature piece from my mom. It was very unique that you mentioned that because that made me think about 
my relationship with my mom, very close. She's my hero. She's done so much for me. Uh, she's that woman figure that I almost looked for when I got married too. Like I want a wow. caring, nurturing, positive, you know, never negative, kind of never complainful type of a woman in my life. And I did find that. And I think it was a huge, huge inspiration as far as what kind of the husband I am and what kind of husband I need to be and what kind of woman I was looking for. So I think a mom has such a significant uh, mentor figure like in your, so it's great to hear that she's giving you books. And I'm, I'm curious how she got a hold of my book too. So that'd be, that'd be an interesting thing for me to find out. Well, she may, she may be t- tuning in tonight. So I'll actually spring that on her and say, mom, if you are listening tonight, where was the inspiration? Where did the uh, hikes book pop up? Um, and, and again, mindset, something that over the past five to six years, I've really delved into the world of mindset and self-development. I've obviously kind of studied a lot into psychology and NLP and all of these different aspects. But mindset's always really stood out to me as, as a word. And again, um, I've been very kind of uh, prevalent in terms of a lot of top athletes and, and top entrepreneurs and business people use the word mindset so, so much is kind of like their main principle. But then when you go into an educational setting or you speak to kind of like general population, you, you talk about the word mindset and it's not that powerful to them. And it's and it's really interesting to myself how really successful people in their own terms hold mindset as a key principle to life, their mind. And then as that dilutes down, people either don't understand it or don't truly understand the power of it. And I think, again, it's book like, yourselves that, that do start to really departmentalize and, and, and help people understand what mindset is, what it encapsulates, and, and not only just that, but then how to implement it. I think one of the big things for myself is to not just learn information, but can you apply it? Can, can you right. take this information and do something with it? And again, that's why I'm not just a believer in reading books. I'm a believer in going through and thinking, how can I try and implement this in my life to see if it works for me? If it doesn't, why? And just take that kind of strategy with it. Um, but before we kind of uh, delve into to, to the book, I just wanted to talk a little bit about yourself and your journey. And as I always say, um, I do kind of go a little bit deep. If there's any, any, if there's ever anything you don't wish to talk about or say, please mm-hmm. do say hi. But I think that from reading your book, I'm never going to touch upon anything you haven't been quite openly um kind of talked about within that so you've you're from originally from armenia is that correct yes yes um yeah i'll, I'll share my quick story uh oh, and do. i think there's a lot of weight to the story a lot of lessons so maybe we can kind of pause go back and forth you can ask me questions um i also love learning whenever i'm doing these interviews as well ben so uh sometimes right. you know there's a my brother is a um, very high level professional mixed martial artist Wow, and okay. he has, uh, he's very good at jujitsu. Like that's his base. That's his foundation. And he said, um, you know, in order for some of the gyms to get a black belt, you have to train somebody all the way up to that level. And the reasoning is to master skill sets, you'd be able to replicate yourself. So unless you can teach the master skill of doing something on high level, you really truly don't master it. Right. So, and then it goes back to applying sometimes when I'm coaching and preaching and, you know, helping somebody, uh, it really helps me understand my craft better. So that's why I think Selfishly speaking, uh, I love sharing. It helps me understand and believe and know more about myself. And also, if it's one person that might reach out and say, hey, what you said did this for me, therefore I did this. And, you know, it benefited me this way. For example, like this morning, we had a, um, a coaching call with my team. And I had a speaker from California share their best practices with my sales team. And, you know, he shared a couple of things that they're doing in, this, in his organization. He's one of the most successful guys in the country that I know. 
uh, you know, my team right away implemented it and they start sending messages in our, in our you know, direct messaging group. I did this, it worked. I did that, it worked. Wow, and my response to the team was, guys, the problem with the education system, like I'm, I'm, all, I'm all about education in school, even though I was a dropout, but I believe education is very important. But where we fail is it teaches how to plan. It doesn't teach how to do. So we become great planners coming out of school, entitled thinking we are supposed to be making six figures on day one. We don't. Real life hits us in the face. Really realize cramming doesn't get us a paycheck sometimes. Just because you can get an A doesn't mean you can be successful in a career. Um, yeah. My feedback to the team was we just got a lot of information. It felt good. We felt confident. But where we don't execute, that was just a feel-good feeling. It means nothing. Edu- education and knowledge is nothing unless you do something with it. So, and then, you know, my, my top producers were right away getting results off of it, using it. I'm like, guys, this is what we need to do, be doing with knowledge. If we're not using it, it's, it's feel good. And feel good doesn't pay your bills. Feel yeah. good doesn't fix your relationship. Feel good doesn't get you to lose the weight you want to lose or get yourself health back because you, you know, let the health slip at some point, right? So the action piece is such a vital missing uh, ingredient. And I think in the education system as well. And that's one of the things that I preach my team. Learn something good. It means nothing unless you do something with it. Um, quick, quick anyway, question on that, that. Yeah. No, no, no. To jump in because um, I love, I love, um, I love sometimes it being quite sporadic because it, it helps things fire in my mind as well. And an interesting thing um, that came to my mind then is for a lot. And I know I was going to bring this up, so we will touch on another element of this later on, which is the word fear, which obviously you talk about in your book. But I think that for a lot of people, kind of taking action. A fear is an element. Now, before we talk about kind of the principles you went into around fear within the book, at a younger age where potentially there isn't as much fear in in younger people due to the fact they haven't had as many knockbacks or setbacks or their beliefs shattered or whatever it may be, do you think that should be worked on in terms of the the process of taking action? Is that what you're saying? Like in an ed- educational setting if we were able to show these younger kids how to take, how to take information, make it applicable and take action with it. Mm-hmm. Where do you think the fear lies in terms of again, and this kind of sits into it as well. Do you think fear should be talked about and taught in schools to show what fear is? I think there's, there's two parts to, you know, uh, fear because we think about failing, right? So there, there's, I'm afraid to do something because if I'll fail, then I'll look like a fool. I'll lose something. Right. But the, the, the real question is, where's the loss? Like, what do you lose when you fail? Because when you learn to fail forward versus failing back, right? So some people fail back and they become complainful, negative. And all of a sudden, their opportunistic approach to life goes, you know, slowly goes away. So nothing's an opportunity. Now, I tell this to my, my sales team a lot that, you know, if, if you think everything is an opportunity, it's kind of cheesy. No, it's not. But unless you're opportunistic, you will miss out on the few good opportunities that present themselves in life in a day, in a week, in a month, right? Uh, in my business, opportunities are conversations with customers. Like my, we do, you know, cold calling, warm calling appointments, you know. Um, unless we ask certain questions and the, the feedback might be, what if they say no? Well, if you look at that as a failure, then just stop asking. So almost like sit in a corner, suck on your thumb. You'll never fail because you never attempted anything, but you'll be a failure period because you never attempted something to learn from. Yeah. Right. So the, the, the failure itself is not trying. Right. So this biological thing we have internally fear. Right. It, it's completely normal. Like, I think when people accept the fact that it's OK to be afraid, like I I can't tell you, Ben, how afraid I used to be to speak in front of a group of people. Like if you told me I have to like hold a microphone to my face, I would turn every possible color 
and I would have sweat going down my back. And then, <laughs> you know, I was afraid because I didn't know. I thought it was just me, right? And I heard people are afraid of, you know, rejection. People are afraid of not being accepted. People are afraid of publics, right? And I realized that's a very natural thing, very natural thing. For, for thousands of years, you know, human beings had to be accepted because if you think about like where, our, where were our, you know, ancestors raised, right? So great, 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 great grandpa, they had villages, right? We had these little village groups that if you belonged, you would live. If you got rejected, as in they think you're a bad person, you're a, you know, you're a killer, you're a rapist, you're a liar, you're a thief, they're gonna exile you from that village, right? So when somebody rejects you, it meant death because you couldn't survive in the wilderness on your own. You needed to be in the village. So for thousands of years, we have this biological engineering thinking, if I'm accepted, I live. If I'm rejected, I die. So we have this confusion. What worked really well for us thousands of years ago, biologically, it's working against us now. Now we're thinking, you know, if I just become accepted, if I just don't speak up, if I don't take risks, if I, if I just, you know, be in this comfort zone, I get to live. But realistically, it's the opposite now. If you, those who don't take risks, there's a saying, you don't drink champagne. You have nothing to celebrate. Those who don't take risks, you don't learn. Yes, risk would kill you back in the day. You would take a risk and go into a cave where there's a mountain lion that comes out and kills you. Well, now risk gives you an ability to learn from your mistakes and move forward, right? So the, the, the fact that a lot of people think that leaders and achievers and successful people are fearless, I think that's completely wrong. I've got a ton of fear. I lose sleep or I wake up two, three in the morning, just like afraid of what if I lose everything I worked so hard for? What if my wife doesn't like me anymore? What if I lose my fitness? So I have this race coming up and I don't think I did enough running last week. So it's like, again, I have all this fear of loss and doubt 24. It never goes away. So it's not about, I think the fear itself, it's how you use, right? Not what happens to you, but how you react. So naturally people almost avoid things that make them afraid. But in my opinion, if you're doing stuff that scares you, you're on the right path. Yeah. If you're doing stuff that doesn't scare you, you're going the wrong direction. So I think fear should be something that we encourage. Failure should be something we encourage because it, I, I, everything I'm ever thankful in my life was a result of leap of faith that had a lot of, a lot of fear and a lot of me overcoming and doing self-talk thinking that's the right path. I should move forward versus people avoid it. Right? So it's, it's almost like failure, fear, possible regret. I doubt it. You lean towards that. You don't avoid it. That's my philosophy that. on fear. Yeah, and I'm right behind you, and I think um, everyone in the in the comments is right right behind that as well. And I think that I've, I definitely think there's more people coming out with a minute in terms of of that mindset of, of exactly what you've talked about there. But I think that the, there's still a hell of a lot of people in the bracket of of worry, in the bracket of what will happen if I fail. But again, it, it's it's about understanding, like you've just talked about there, what they are learning from the failure to then move forward. So it's about the mindset around the word failure, isn't it? It's kind of, it's how they are dissecting that and then implying it. But again, this is, it kind of leans back into where I was talking before about if people don't really understand how to break this down and then apply it into their life in whatever area they may be trying to succeed, that's then starts to become a barrier. And I think one of the, I was, again, a lot of this, I was going to go into it later today, but in the, in the C, I don't know whether you call it the car in pronunciation or you just say C A A R, but the C-A-R, method, car, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the, the method you created, the, the the first principle in terms of clarity for me is is a massive one, um, and and I, I'm going to touch into that method because that's actually something that I've started to apply into my life, and it's 
there's one word that really took me back and I had to really understand it because not that I didn't understand it, but it really shone a light on 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 a certain principle. But I'm gonna I'm gonna wait on that one because there is a lot I want to touch upon. But I just want I want people to know a little about yourself, Pike, because I think your story is inspirational um in terms of where you come from, in terms of obviously the journey over to the United States with your father, in terms of, of your family upbringing. So appreciate you go into a lot of depth in the book, but if you're happy just to give uh, the listeners and viewers just a little bit of information on that before we delve into the, the book itself. Yeah. So a uh, little bit of vulnerability there. I didn't plan any of that. A lot of things were thrown my way, a lot of adversity and fear. Uh, but I think one place where I, you know, excelled is I went with it. I didn't become a victim, um, but I had pretty tough, tough childhood growing up. So um, right before post-Soviet Union collapse, a lot of countries, you know, that thought that would actually thrive didn't. Armenia was one of them, you know, post-Soviet Union collapse, you know, we lost the middle class. There was no middle class jobs. There was no nine to five. Either you were doing business, you know, either you were connected or you weren't, right? You were either extremely poor or extremely rich. There was nothing in the middle. So this idea of, you know, American dream got really popular in late 1990s and 2000s to you go to this country, there's a, you know, you can get a job nine to five. You can, you know, work hard. You know, you don't go again, man's and God's laws. And you can own a car and have a house, maybe two cars. And that was kind of a simple idea because in Armenia, you couldn't just not go against man's and God's laws and work hard. You have to know people. You have to bribe people. You have to, you know, have connections. You have to be extremely intelligent. So the people that were making it, they were wolves. And you tell me you can, you don't have to fight, bribe, kill, make, you know, do all these crazy things. You can just go work hard. So, and there were, there was a lot of stories of people coming to the United States, working 12, 14 hour days, you know, being ethical, following the law and having money. And so everybody wanted to come to the United States because that was not the case back home. So we applied for visas. And I remember my father was fortunate enough to get visa for him and me. Uh, the rest of the family didn't get it. So uh, it was myself. I was 13 years old at the time. My younger brother, my older sister, my mom were going to stay behind in Armenia. Father and son duo would come to the United States, set a foundation, bring the rest of the family home. We thought what would be a short separation, maybe max the year from what I've heard, some stories of people going and their family joins in six months. So I'm the oldest son. I got to go, right? So uh, we went. Little I knew, I didn't see my family for seven years. Uh, that seven years was what I like to call my PhD. Even though I never graduated from school, PhD is a fancy degree. I call it my uh, poor, hungry, determined degree. Wow. School of hard knocks. Uh, we moved a lot. I mean, every time, sometimes yeah. we rent was due, we had to move because we couldn't afford rent. We went to a new place, new apartment. Um, you know, electricity was expensive. Food was expensive. We went, we skipped food. My father would, you know, sleep in the car. We've had cases where I would save my breakfast from school or eat the breakfast and save the lunch, bring the lunch home to feed my dad. That was his meal wow. for the day. Uh, wow. we went everything from delivering pizza, marketing material, you know, put stickers on mailboxes so they can give us like one cent per marketing we would deliver because we can really have a choice of not to send at least $100 a month back to Armenia because $100 a month is what fed my brother, my mom, and my, my sister. Wow. So we had, and to us, sometimes $100, we have to go borrow it. Um, you know, so what, you know, I can go back and play this victim card, Ben, and be like, man, as a kid, I, I was put through a lot. You know, I had all this grief and negativity. I never made friends. We moved. I could never really do sports because every time I joined a sports team in school, we moved again. I couldn't join the new team. My grades would always go down. Every time I would get a system going, it would break. And let's say if I'm negative today, I can go back and I will have a 100% legitimate reason to blame my past. 
man, I, I do. I can't. I, I, like I had a bad childhood. No consistency, no love. My dad was always working. You know, he would come home. We'd have good conversations. But I was blessed with a tough father who would say, shut up and stop whining. Get back to work. Like, we don't, we don't whine in Tadabosan family. You stop crying. You get back to work. You get your grades up. So that yeah. was what kept me going. I had a very loving, very military-like father figure who never put up with my BS. He would be like, stop complaining. Get tougher. And I really learned that lesson from my dad that no one cares. You got to work. No one cares. You got to work. You know, that, that got me through my first marathon, through my first Ironman race. It's like, I'm hurting, but no one cares. I got to keep going. I got, I got 10 more miles to go, you know? So, um, you know, within those seven year separation family came, I developed a very, I would say pit bull like grip on opportunity at age 18. I got exposed to the, you know, we were doing construction, all kinds of things on the side, but I got exposed to insurance business. And I remember my father was like, you know, I really like knowing my son is working in an office, not in construction fields and getting all muddy and dirty and coming home. Uh, and I enjoyed it, but I'm like, yeah, this is easy. I, I'm sitting in the office and you're out there sweating and God knows what you're doing. You know, you're sweaty, you're tired. Like, let me come help. And he said, no, no, I want my son to learn how to make money with a pen and a paper, which is a dream, you know, from somebody coming from Armenia. Wow. Well, no, that wasn't, you know, great money. It was decent money. It was experience. My father was very good at coaching me because I think it's very important to understand if our parents are good or bad mentors. Sometimes we don't all get lucky that I have great mentor parent figures. Sometimes we don't, right? Yeah. Uh, I got lucky with my dad always saying, work for experience, don't work for money. Because wow. that experience translated me learning how to, you know, negotiate and talk to people and follow up, get good on the phone, you know, cold call, prospect, you know, build relationships with other business mind, minded people and, you know, sphere of influence, work with attorneys and loan officers and all this other stuff. So I built a big pipeline of people I was working with. And at 21, I got a, a you know, opportunity to open up my own insurance business. And our first year was a uh, record year in the entire state. And then, you know, from that point, I learned how to not just work hard. I learned how to hire and replicate because you really can't teach what you don't know. So I got very good at what I did. I got very good at teaching what I did. And I got very good at replicating myself. So instead of working in the business to working on a business. And that's when I, I came with the idea of writing my book, Ben, because at that time, well, right before that, I had sacrificed everything to make business work because to me, money was everything, right? I grew up extremely poor. And I would think if I can get to my first six figure income, that would solve all my problems. Because I'm thinking yep. all my problems come from being broke. So if I just become not broke, I will have this feeling I never had. Well, I was very wrong. I remember in my early 20s, I got to my first six figures and it was one of the most miserable experiences. I'm like, hold on a second. I just solved the problem two generations of families couldn't solve. Why am I still unfulfilled? Why do I, I'm fat, I'm 250 pounds, I'm out of shape. I have no friends, I've got no relationship. I ruined relationships and I realized I'm like, you know, I need to do some balance work on, my, on myself. I need to, I need to lose this weight. I'm becoming negative. I'm, I'm not happy. So I went and bought myself a marathon ticket six months out. <laughs> Couldn't wow. run two miles. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and it, that's how ambitious I was in my early twenties. And, you know, I bought the ticket at the time where, you know, we had our first kid and I just started training. You know, I, I ran two miles, my ankles swell. I take time off work, which was against my code because I'm like, you got to put 12, 14 hours a day. It's all about the grindstone. But I started taking time away from work and I realized that time away from work made my team do better because now they weren't being almost micromanaged and supervised by me being there. They were like, he's gone. Yeah. He's trained us. Let's attempt some of the stuff that we wouldn't attempt in front of him. So I learned something about leadership that you are sometimes 
the worst thing for your business. Yeah. Even though you're the best at training and developing, you've got to let them on their own to try when you're not there. And I realized my team was failing without me being around because they also weren't feeling like I'm going to be there to make a comment and train more. So they were more free to express themselves, be themselves to try their own way and realizing, hike, your way wasn't the way. I just took your training. I did it on my own. My work's better for my personality type. So I learned a big thing about leadership that training is different for everyone. The style is different for everyone. There's no script. Just coach, give your best and let them be. Let them be, right? So that taught me how to be away and still have a business that runs on its own, which is ideally what you want. And then I got fit. I got, did my marathon. I noticed my team got curious about getting smartwatches and measuring their steps and getting in the fitness, start working out. Team got fit. And all of a sudden, I'm spending less time working less, making more money. My team is making more money. I'm feeling more successful, which is like the opposite of what I thought, which I was always thinking, if you want to do better, you do more. No, yeah. sometimes less is more. And that's what I was learning about the balance piece. And with more my time to myself, you know, I got fit. I started looking better. I started, my mood got better. I got more motivated. I started reading better books. I started building better relationships. I met the special one. Again, I had a kid. And I'm like, you know, people always tell me like, hi, hey, you're the most positive person I know. And I'm like, why would you not be? Like, isn't life full of good? I love that. And the same person in the same exact zip code and same tip, similar home is like telling me how U.S. economy sucks. I'm like, but why is it two people across from the same table have such different perspectives on the same exact life? Look, like it's mindset. Yeah. I yeah. choose to count my blessings, you ch you blessings, and you choose to just complain about what's not going well in your life, right? Yeah, and it, you know, there's been the, sorry. There's an example that I've heard that, that kind of resonates with that, and it was about. Um, and I, I think this is actually a true story, um, but it, but it's about two sons who their father um, was was a drug dealer. I think he ended up in prison, um, involved in gangs, involved in all this kind of in, in, in quite horrendous stuff. And they came from a, a, a bad neighborhood, very poor and all these kind of things. One ended up in jail and one ended up being extremely successful. Now, both brothers got asked the same question of like, how did you get to the position you're in? And they both turned around and said, like, what do you expect? One of the children who was super successful took the mindset of, I'm not going to go down the route. My father went down. I'm going to do everything to get out of that and be the most successful I can be. The other brother took the mindset of, man, I've got no hope and I'm going to follow my father's footsteps. I'm going to stay in it. So again, it's the it's like you say, the, the and something that you, you've talked about in, in one of the quotes, which is your mindset comes before your condition. And I thought that was a really powerful line from within your book as well. Again, the environment and the conditions mm -hmm. in life don't control you. If unless you let them, but again, it all comes comes back to the to the mindset. One question I wanted to ask when you were talking there, um, Hike, is kind of talking about before you moved to the states because your ambition and drive in life now is phenomenal, and it, just speaking to you, um, the the zest for life just seems absolutely lit up, which is a, what I love. But when you were in Armenia, what was the ambition in terms of your mindset then? Before the move, before you start to experience the United States and potentially be around different people? And I know your father has driven you some real uh, principles and values in life that you can tell are very strong. And, and I'm a big believer. I've just had a son myself. He's nine months old. And I'm a, I want to be the best dad I can be um, in terms of showing him what's possible within this life. But again, a good work ethic and showing him love and manners and all of these things. But just to understand when you were before you came to the United States, did you have ambition? Were you an ambitious kid? Did you believe there were things possible? Or do you think at that minute in time, your mindset was potentially quite limited? And then it started to transition 
the when you start to get around people potentially that were showing you other options? Um, I think I was a fairly soft kid coming here. Fairly okay. soft. I cried a lot. I cried a lot. Okay. Um, I I doubted a lot. Right. So I feel I've seen people come to U.S. in my conditions are tough, like just you know built tough. I wasn't. I don't think I was. I wasn't ready. I was a mommy's boy pulled away from his mom. Uh, love my brother, love my sister. And I, again, it, to me, uh, it's hard to describe how difficult that was. That was, you know, it's almost like it's, I wouldn't even, I don't have enemies, but if I did, I wouldn't want them to go through the same. It, it was, but what I realized is this, it was this, you know, it's never too late to start. You know, like, like right now I got two boys, I have five and seven year old. I'm thinking they got to get into basketball. Now they're both doing jujitsu. I should have started when they were four, you know, not five, you know? But I'm realizing I didn't get into sports till late, like at my mid-teens, you know, and uh, neither did my brother. He got into like jujitsu and sports later. And he actually, in a matter of like five years, like from like 13 to 18, or was it like 14 to 19? I can't remember that, like five-year period. He became the number one ranked fighter in Pacific Northwest, like number one. Wow. He was a contender for UFC. And then he had kids kind of slowed back. But again, that mindset piece came late. The training came late. But it also taught me a valuable lesson that it's not who starts early. It's, it's, it's when you get into with the right mindset, you don't need that much time. You don't need 30 years. There were some kids who were wrestling since age five. My brother was running, running circles around them after a while, right? Because he had the right mindset. He could train three times a day, four times a day sometimes. He can actually, you know, recover in his head by thinking I need to recover and then wake up early and do that. it again. It's not, it's not what you – you're not what you eat. You're what you repeatedly eat. You can have a cheat meal all you want. But if it's once a week, you're not going to look bad, Right. But repeatedly, like how many times can you repeat that good day? Because in my yeah. opinion, definition of great is doing something good for a long period of time. Yeah. Don't like, I don't believe in having great days. I never have a great workout or a great day at work. But what we try to repeat is the good because yeah. good is less intimidating. I can do a good job. Yeah. yeah. But when you tell me that, wow, you have that kind of a day, like good luck repeating that one, you know, like, in, so, so the key is to keep it simple, keep it easy, but also the great comes from the repetition piece. Right. Um, I learned uh, what my father unintentionally did to me those seven years was he never solved my battles. Nice. Like I get beat up in school. He'd be like, go figure it out. Go learn to fight. Um, you know, um, I would have a bad grade. He's like, get it up. I don't care how. And I think what I'm seeing right now, I've got a fairly successful circle. A lot of my peers are doing it the wrong way. They're okay. doing it the wrong way. And then sometimes I catch myself doing the wrong way. So I'm a very capable person. Like the baby boomers, right? Born between 46 and 64, the most successful generation in the United States. They built the bridges, the freeways, the roads, the Fortune 500 companies, right? The problem with baby boomers, the reason why there's a saying, uh, tough times create tough men. Tough men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. Weak men wow. create tough times. Wow. So wow. we are creating a lot of soft people right now because these very tough people post-World War II, right, came in capable, hardworking, just did everything, create, invented business, right? It created America. And they became so capable, lawyers, attorneys, you know, businessmen, you know, stockbrokers. When a child had a problem at school or whatever, these capable men and women would complain, would get their lawyers on the case, would fix the problem for their kid. Right? Because that's what a loving parent does. We fixed our kids' problems. Uh, my father never did that for me. And many times I was like, Dad, like, why aren't, you know, help me out, you know? And he never did. And I held it against him. But now I'm like so thankful that he didn't because 
Yes. These kids that the you know you're solving all these problems for them, and all of a sudden they hit the real world. They realize a complaint doesn't fix the fact that they're about to lose their job. You know, them you know asking for a raise doesn't get them the raise. You just got to work harder. So they get depressed and they become very soft, thinking that mommy and daddy's going to bail them out. And then you hit the real world. Mommy and daddy can do anything for you. What they should have been doing is instead of solving your own problems, coaching you to solve your own, and not solving them, falling on your face. You know, there's a saying. Some of the best lessons in life is a broken heart, empty pockets, and a black eye. Like we need to have our kids to have more black eyes, more <laughs> empty pockets, and you know, more broken hearts. Because yeah. as a capable person, we tend to solve, I think, too much of that. And again, I, I, I too do that. I'm not trying to say I'm this perfect parent, but I'm very no, cautious no, no. to give my children the same opportunity I had. And my best opportunity in life was that seven years where, again, I can sit down and complain how bad it was, but it gave me so much opportunity to fail. I failed so much. And I still do, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. Um, and that was the kind of long answer to your question. Like, how was I before? I was very soft. Yeah, but no, that was, was, it was, it was a really good answer. And, and again, it's um, it's what I love about your hike in terms of um, when you go when you when you go into an answer, you go into so much depth. But it, it, this is helping people explain the whole point of the mindset tune up show was to get different individuals on to sh to not just show their thoughts on mindset, but to show how it's implemented their life and and help people really understand the power of this. And I think that, again, um, the, the the journey that you've been on highlights that massively. And again, you've been very open and honest about who you were as a young boy um, and your upbringing and, and the transition you've had. So I think that's quite phenomenal. And really interestingly, I, I read a statistic the other day and it really uh, fitted in with what you just spoke about there. And it was it was about um, in, in education, the kids that the, 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 there was a study done and it was about the children. If, if a children was stuck on a problem and the teacher went and helped them straight away over, if a kid was stu stuck on a problem and the teacher didn't help them straight away, they kind of just set back and exactly what you said there, you need to figure this out until the point they literally understood this kid is really struggling. I need to go in and help rather than being potentially just a little bit lazy and delving deep and really kind of breaking it down. And the statistics showed that the teacher stepping back helped these kids become smarter. And it was, it was, it was, it was quite phenomenal to, to hear that. And again, listening to yourself there kind of bridge, bridge right into, to what you were talking about. But I think that, um, when you question that I've got before I start to touch into the book and I think the the money you'd start to speak about money before and again I've written a bit of, about money down here out of the book as well because you, you talked you've already talked a little bit about this but you talked about uh, that money doesn't equal happiness but it equals a solid foundation from which I could reach happiness but you also kind of explain that when you hit a good amount of money that you thought this is what it's all about, you kind of felt a little bit empty at that point. You kind of felt a little bit like, wow, this isn't kind of what I thought it was. Was that, and then you started to touch on then when you were overweight and started to get into the fitness side. So for the guys that haven't read your book yet, and I hope you don't mind me talking a little bit about it and not giving too much away, but you've kind of got your 4F formula where height splits um, up into 25%, family, fitness, friendship, and finances. So I'm really interested to understand kind of did this develop through you kind of failing in, in experiencing things in these areas of your life? Like where did this actual method come from? Because I think that um, th this is quite a phenomenal thing for me to understand in terms of 
you obviously, I don't think, are the type of guy that just sat down and thought, what method can I create? It sounds like you are taking experiences from life, learning from them, and actually the formula came from that. But I could be wrong. So my question was, like, did the formula come together through your life or was it one that you sat down and thought about to think, how could I create something to help others? Actually, uh, Ben, I think I would have done gotten the book done in one year because wow. of that formula it took me over three. Um, wow. <laughs> it took me two more years of correcting it. So there's a lot of thought behind that formula. Um, accidentally, I, I stumbled upon it accidentally. And um, you know how you pursue certain things and you get there you're like, oh, this is not it, right? Money is one of them, by the way. Fitness is not. Your relationship is not. Uh, you know, your peers is not. Like, you you pursue a great relationship. You get there. You're like, wow, this is everything I've asked for. You know, you you pursue the goal of, like, fixing your health. You get there. You're like, wow, this is even better than I thought. Money is not. Like, you get there. You realize this stuff is not. Again, it, great foundation. Nobody's happy being behind on their mortgage payments. Nobody's happy not having money for food, right? Again, I've been all that. It was a miserable place. But as far as the expectation to reality... It's not what people think. So as far as for me, um, I had a completely wrong understanding of that order, Ben. Wow. Initially, when I said, you know, people are right. I am the most motivated and positive person they know. I, I am also, too, that most motivated positive person. I'm very happy. I'm, I rarely complain. Um, I would say, you know, a lot of people would say, I wish I could be like Hike. From what they see. From what they yeah. see. And I'm glad because... I've always prayed and asked God, my God, please make me become a person that other people aspire to be like. I want to become important enough so I can make a difference. And oh I've God. I've lost sleep over that thought on countless nights oh. because for seven years, mommy wasn't there for me. You know, so and I said, like, I want to become somebody because I was a nobody for such a long period of time. At least I felt like I was a nobody. I had very low self-esteem and very low um, self-thought to who I was. Um, so, again, I, I worked really hard to fix the financial tank. Cause to me, I thought this is why we came to America. You know, money's the root of all problems. You get the money, you solve the problems. But then again, money brought more problems as in I was unhappy. I didn't have a relationship. I had no place to share events. You know, I had no love in my life. So when I fixed the money, it gave me time. Cause you either have time or you have money. It's really rare to have both. Cause a lot of people that have a lot of time on their hands, they're broke unless they created a really good financial machine that takes care of that, which is barely, you know, a few percentage of people that I know. So first you work really hard for your money. You have no time, but you have a lot of money and you realize I need to start buying time back. So in business, um, I start hiring people and replicating myself to get my time back. So I use that time to train because I realized I'm out of shape. I need to get fit. So I started doing, you know, marathons, Spartan races, weightlifting, you know, I got in the best shape of my life. And uh, that wasn't enough either because just by getting fit, it was still something missing, right? So um, by becoming fit, I naturally started attracting certain types of people in my life and, uh, you know, attention from women, you know, all that good stuff and get togethers and parties. Um, you know, I started bringing more time to spend time with my friends. The, you know, some of the people that weren't friends disappeared anyway, but some of my good friends knew I'm busy building a business, so they waited. Yeah. So I started making more time for those friends. I'm still best friends with them. Um, you know, I started spending more time with them, lunch breaks with them, seeing them on Friday and Saturday. Again, enough of that and you meet the right person. If you're, at least you understand what you're looking for, you meet the right person and then you settle down, you have family. And then I, go, I, I took a step back at one point. I'm like, wow, I am very happy. So I think I need to share this lesson with people. I need to tell people there's an order. You specifically 
first you solve your financial tank, then you get your fitness fixed, then you get the fitness fixed, you get your time with your friends back, you get your relationship with your friends fixed, you find that right person, you create a family. I wrote a book. I almost threw in the trash, man. Wow, <laughs> I, I'm wow, like, man, wow. this is bullshit. I don't agree. Because when I started, you know, really diving deep into my thesis, which is, you know, fitness, uh, financial fitness, friendship, and then family, right? I disagreed with my entire thesis. I'm like, this is wrong. I can't be putting this book out there. It's going to mislead people to failure. You can't, wow. I can't be telling you, Ben, financial things number one, when the biggest monkey on your back is telling you your fitness is out, out of whack, you know, or you got to fix your relationship or you have no friends, right? So I called a few of my friends who are doctors, you know, the ones that have done dissertations. And I asked them this question. I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not PhD candidate here, but can you tell me when you did your dissertation, did you ever like disagree with your own? Because you have to write a thesis and defend it in front of a very group of smart people. He's like, oh, absolutely. It's one of the reasons why they make us do dissertations because when you write a thesis, you lose yourself in your theory and you, and you know you're going to defend it. You research it. It makes more sense. It's very common to have a theory. And by the time you're done with it, it's completely different. Wow. I'm like, okay, it makes sense. And then my mentor, Ali, you know, he's like, so what do you mean by that? I'm like, Ali, well, I just wrote this entire book. He was, by the way, my, one of my inspirations. Uh, okay. I wrote about him uh, in the book. Yeah, and yeah. I said, um, he's like, what's your theory? I'm like, well, my theory, I'm talking about an order. And I realized there's no order. He's like, so, he's like, so what's the answer? I'm like, well, the answer is yeah, there's no order. We find the biggest monkey on your back telling us, like, you suck. Like, what does that suck? Is it family? Is it fitness? Is it finance? Is it friendship? You work on that first. You don't fix it. You get it to a comfort level because there's no 100% perfection. You know, perfection is the lowest standard we set ourselves. It's yep. almost like saying, I'm okay to be disappointed at all times because if you seek perfection, you will always be disappointed, right? So get it comfortable. Like to me, comfortable was money was good enough for me to be able to hire more people. I can afford them and I can still make time for my nice car and make, you know, pay for other people's lunches and buy the house that I want and invest X amount into IRAs and stocks, whatever. Right? So that was my comfort. Warren Buffett's comfort is different. That was my comfort. Um, so find the monkey that, so to me it was money, right? So I had to solve that one first. I couldn't be making friends when I'm losing sleep over the fact that I'm broke. So you work on the biggest monkey on your back first, move on to the next biggest monkey and the next one, the next one, and you balance accordingly. And you should be okay with the imperfect balance. Yeah. Because uh, six months ago, I committed to opening up another location, right? We opened and it was all time. Like I had to be in there hiring, training, even four months before that. I had to develop the people to put into the new office. We had to get signage and furniture and training. It was So I, I actually sacrificed a lot of fitness time, a lot of time with my primary business location. Uh, and I was um, you know, not spending too much time with my friends and family. Right now, 20, as of this month, I'm spending more time at home with my kids. I'm back to training. I, you know, back to race training right now. I'm spending less time on business because my team is trained up and ready to go. So I'm going to spend the next six months on fitness and family tank and a little bit more on friendship as well. Uh, and again, now the fact that I know I'm okay with the fact it's never going to be balanced. I am less stressed thinking I am lacking the perfect balance because there, it doesn't exist. It does not exist. Yeah. So I went back and rewrote the entire thing. Rewrote the entire, wow. It took me two years of editing, re-editing. I hired like, I forgot how many editors I hired Ben. I heard oh, wow. so many different ones that would actually help me with my theory. That would help me with the grammar. English is my third language. I don't speak. Again, I speak well, but I don't write well. I don't have the foundation. I didn't start going to school here until like seventh grade, right? So there was a lot of correcting had to be done. And most people that read my book, they're like, I noticed your grammar gets better as you went because I became a better writer <laughs> later, right? So uh, the theory, yeah, theory started with there's a order. BS. No, it's not. And I refixed it. 
Then when I was comfortable and I had a few mentors giving me a thumbs up on my theory, that's when I said, you know what, it's time to release the book and hopefully it can inspire and change some people's lives. I love that. And just just a question on that, because th this is just something that, that interested me as you were speaking. When you had people helping you on the book in terms of like you talked about editors, was were you was there a point where you felt potentially some of them didn't believe in the values you were trying to share or did you feel they was, was that a barrier for you at any point? I think I'm a big believer in, I've got uh, multiple business over in the UK and I've some businesses I've had previous haven't succeeded. And it's been to me not sharing the same values and we've not been on the same alignment. So I'm a big believer in, in, in beliefs and values on, in just the connection you have and especially with with this work that I do now, and know Liam, uh, my business partner with him, uh, B1 Mindset, although Liam's very tech focused and his knowledge is phenomenal, our belief in what we are trying to do with it is is so strong, it's untrue. The values behind what B1 Mindset is about is is, is so strong. So when you're writing a book that obviously is your heart and soul, as you said, and you are trying to help other people with it, did you experienced barriers with the people that were coming in where you felt actually this person's probably not got the, not my best interest at heart. They might be thinking more about money mm -hmm. or about books sold. They aren't truly buying into why I'm writing this book, man. This is, this right. is about help. Do you know what I mean? Was that experience? I was just coming to mm -hmm. my mind to ask as you were speaking. Yeah. You know, Benesha, that's a very valid point you brought up and I'm glad you brought that up because we can, we can definitely have a good talk about that. Um, I had to fire some editors because and I learned to actually interview editors before I put them on my book because that's my baby. It's like getting a babysitter, right? Like, are you going to pick up where I leave off with my values or are you going to abuse my child while I'm not around? Yeah. That book, literally, I put as much as into it as I would a baby that was born from birth to age three. I did. Oh, um, yeah. It was 20, 30 hour weeks um, for three years. So, yeah, some of them were just, you know, disagreeing with some stuff. Some of them were like, you can't say you should always be positive because life is full of negativity. You should resentence this uh, three pages. And I'm like, I ah, next, you know, so, so it took a while to find. And so I, I think for anybody out there is, you know, ambitious to write a book, um, be very careful who edits it as you are of who you would trust to watch your kids. You should be yeah. even more cautious who touches your book. Um, yeah, I had to fix wow. a lot of their stuff too. Like I didn't like it. I didn't like the, what they were trying. They were, they were too negative, too beat up by life, too victims to see certain things through my eyes. So yeah, finding the right editor is like finding the babysitter. And, um, and, um, the, the, the at one point I actually approached a publishing companies. Um, and I had one, uh, in New York, actually really good publishing company. They're like, we actually like your book. We see you put a lot of work into it. We accept your book, which was an honor. I mean, they get like 5,000 submittals a year. They approve like, I think 80 to 100 books or something like that. And then I'm like, oh, this, wow. So I must have something good. I don't have much following, so I can't really approach anybody. But for them to accept my book, it was a big deal. And when I saw the contract of what they were willing to do with it and their distributions and how much of ownership goes to them. And, you know, it's like they say jump, I say how high and. I get, I have a lot of control in business by state regulations because I carry professional licenses and what I can, what, what I can. Now, certain things I like, certain things I don't. Um, I turn that down. I said, I don't want to publish the traditional um, publication route. I'll do self-publish. Again, it was wow. 30 times more expensive. It was 50 times more work. Uh, but I wanted to have 100% ownership of my, that's why, again, they would have been 
they would have done the editing, everything on their own. But I just, I learned a lesson. And again, I would say I failed. I would have failed if I gave up and say, you know what, this is too much work. But I learned through my own lesson. So if, if again, one, the biggest takeaways is this, you're going to need an editor. Find the right one if you're going to write a book. And you should be okay with the book taking five times longer than you plan to write because it's, you're putting yourself out there. And the other thing I learned, you're never done writing your book. If I kept on re-editing, <laughs> I'd be still editing. You're never done. I go back and I'm like, crap, I should have edited that too. And some of my friends are like, Hike, uh, you know, I said something to you when we were talking as you were writing your book and I would always share with my friends. It's like, I remember you and I had this conversation. When did you put in your book? I'm like, as soon as you and I were done talking, I went back in there and edited it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it, I was, again, less about writing it to make money. It was more about writing it to make a difference. And you know, I learned well, a lot I, of valuable I, lessons in the process. I, I, I honestly think that says a lot about yourself. And um, again, I'm, I'm very intrigued about that. I, I know some people that, um, that are kind of writers and producers um, for television in the UK and in movies and stuff. And the stories they hear about when they've created a script and the way they gets destroyed and taken apart. And by the end of it, they're looking at it thinking, man, this isn't even a bones of what, what I've done. And, and there the kind of passions ripped away from him. And I think that it's, it's, it's beautiful to hear how strong your principles are in life and how much you've stood your ground with what you've created. And again, I can't re recommend the book, book enough. And I've, I said to you at the start, and again, anyone that is joining in now will, will, un will appreciate how honest I am in the way I speak. I'm a very honest speaking guy. Um, and again, the, the principles in this book have been interesting, but also some of your takes. And I think that's the, the most interesting part. And I wanted to touch on one thing. Um, I want to bring it in now because again, it really hit me in terms of um, when we, so in the book, hike has the car method. So it's C A A R. And there's a reason why I'm, I wanted to bring this in. And because so many people struggle to take continuous action. And when I was reading the, 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 the kind of broke the acronym down in terms of you've got clarity, then you've got action, but then you have this word activity. And then obviously you had the results formula from that. Now I was trying to get my head around activity. And when I started to understand that you were saying it's repetitive action, it's when it starts to become habitual, this starts to become a part of you. And I was like, man, that's such a powerful powerful philosophy it like really resonated with me and it's just because so many people can and i love also how the when you speak to a lot of people they are talking about clarity on a goal but then they don't the, the, within that they aren't saying clarity on the goal and the actions which is what you talk about within your clarity actions towards a goal are embedded then the the, the action is yeah we need to now take action but activity is the repetition of that action and repetition creates habits and then that obviously creates results now along that line there might be failures but as we've talked about throughout the show so far failures are lessons to learn from create more actions in terms of uh, new answers to then turn into activity that obviously become habits so where did that come from in terms of yourself in life and again where because active again i'm just really um activity really stood out to me and it, it sounds weird that I'm just pinning it on that word but I'm doing it for a reason because again so many people know an action to take but their biggest barrier is mm -hmm. to, to continually do it and not to resent it to mm -hmm. appreciate that it's now going to be a part of who they are 
to achieve the goal or to transform mm-hmm. or to, to, to live that life. And I think that that's why I like that method so much. So if you were able to just to talk a little bit about that to, to help the listeners and viewers understand that, obviously I've read mm-hmm. your book, so I understand it a lot more in depth. But if someone's listening to that and thinking, I think I get it, but I'm not too right. sure, hikes the man to kind of talk through it. You know, in, in, uh, in, in sales business, we get this saying a lot. Um, activity minus excuses equals results, okay. which I love it. Simple. It never resonated with me because I was thinking to myself, I don't make excuses, so it's common sense. But if I'm going to be coaching, um, how can I make it more like you just do the following? You know, like to me, it was too general. So I'll give you an example. So my team went out there one day and they're like, hike you need to do a triathlon. I'm like, no, I, I can't swim. I mean, I can swim, but not that long. <laughs> so they bought me a ticket and then it was like eight months out. And I'm like, I'll, I guess I'll have to learn how to swim. You know, I went to the pool and I had to get to a point where I could do 50 lengths in a pool equivalent to do this, you know, triathlon. I, I borrowed my brother's old bicycle for this. I had no bike shoes, nothing. They just literally just, my goal was to just finish it. And I got into the pool. I did one, and I'm like, oh, this feels nice. I came back. I had to get up and I'm like, I don't know how to breathe. I don't have the right goggles. They're leaking. And you have to learn the stroke, the dig, the pull. I mean, there's, you know, and I watched some videos on YouTube. I'm like, man, there's so much going on in the swimming. You have to put your arm in a certain angle and you have to dig a certain way. Then you have to bring it up. And then a lot of swimmers miss this last 20% of push, you know, and, that, wow. and I'm paying attention to this as I'm doing this. I'm forgetting this and I'm not, you know, pedaling enough. And I'm not breathing and there's just so many and then by the time I remember I did a few times and then I was in the pool 5 a.m. every morning literally just gym opened up 5 a.m. 505 I was in the pool because at 545 there was a cycling class I had 40 minutes to swim one hour cycling class then I had to jump on a treadmill just to get my body used to the transition between the swim the run uh, the bike and the run um, again I got to 50 50 lengths in the pool and I and I had to go back and realize how humbling it was because I was such a good lifter and runner right before that. And I got in the pool, all of a sudden, I'm like the worst athlete on the planet. And it was very humbling. And I think it's very important for us to humble ourselves because the people that get, it doesn't matter what you do. If you repeatedly, intentionally, again, practice doesn't make it perfect. Perfect practice makes it perfect. The difference between both is you just go home and you think about it. You know when they say, don't take work home? No, you should love what you do and you should take it home. And instead of arguing with your spouse who had the worst day, talk about who had the better day. Talk about how you can improve your day. Listen, ask questions, right? So that's deliberate practice. How do you make your marriage better? Well, bring work home and make sure it's not a problem. Yeah. How do you think about improving your swim or your run? I don't know. Go home and before you go to bed, think about the five things you did right and maybe share with your spouse prior to bed. Maybe you're going to breed positive complaints, positive affirmation, be the change that you want to see, right? So with, with, with all this deliberate practice I was doing in my head, I was thinking, okay, well, I'm, I'm clear. Distance of the swim is 1,900 meters, okay? I have to do X amount. So I'm, I'm very clear what I, I have to get very good at swimming or I'm gonna die, I'm gonna drown, right? So <laughs> clarity had to be there before action. And that's why a lot of people are like, oh, you know, you like in sales, action minus excuses, you know, activity minus excuses equals results. But I have to be very clear, like, how am I going to ask a certain question to the prospect? How am I going to overcome an objection? So the clarity had to be there before the action. So I thought to myself, if I'm not clear, I will not take action. That's why most people don't. They're lacking the clarity. So again, you got to lose weight, clarity. To me, clarity was I have to be able to swim 1,900 meters without stopping. Yeah. 
So clarity less to action, which was the fact that I got to go get in a pool and learn to do this. And that wasn't enough either because I did it once or twice. Then you have to repeat, right? Activity is the ability to repeat what you figured out. The clarity leads to action. Action isn't enough. Just because you brush your teeth one time, they're not going to get healthier. Just because you went on one date night with your spouse to fix a relationship that's falling apart, it's not enough. It's how many times you can do it. And the more you can do it, the better you can. I was listening to Kobe Bryant's uh, interview one time, and he was talking about waking up three in the morning. So he's on the court at four, goes home, rests, is back on the court at six. And by the time it's nine o'clock, where most athletes have their first training session, Kobe's done two to three. And people complain about not having time. Like one thing I always say, you know, with me having kids back to back and training for a new sport and running one of the highest producing businesses in our state and writing the, the book and editing, if I made time for all that, I don't want to hear this bullshit of you not having time. What time do you wake up? And what time do you go to sleep? And would you watch Netflix? Like do you, if you have time for that, you, it's not a matter of time. It's part matter of priorities. And I have a secret to share. And, you know, Ben, if this is something your benef- your listeners can benefit, and you probably know this better than anybody else, uh, you can be overwhelmed overwhelmed with how much time you have by just waking up at five. Yeah. You have too much time in your hands. Like, yeah. like this, everything gets done when there's a power to five in the morning. I think when nobody's thinking of you, you're not distracted. You're all yeah. about executing your own thing. Get all your emails done before you go to the office, get all your exercise done before you most people are up. If you just wake up at five, you'll be overwhelmed with the amount of time you have in the day. Anyway. So I repeat just, it. Just to, times, just to, do, did, just to jump in there before you carry on because uh, it's, it's really resonated that just before you carry on because again i am um weirdly known unfortunately for for getting up daft early and everyone i get a lot of messages saying how do you get up so early um how are you so motivated to get up in the morning like how and it's number one everything that within my life is a want I've, I've transformed my life to have the things that I want to have within them. And I, I want to be working towards them. Um, and if not, I'm asking myself why I'm trying to transition that. Um, but there's one thing you said then that was really powerful to me, which was um, I've done a lot in my life to, um, to calm negative thoughts and overthinking down. And I've done a lot to work on being more in control of my thought processes. But one thing you said there, which really resonates is when you do wake up at four or five in the morning, I so resonate with what you said there, which is like, it seems like the world is asleep. You were not getting text messages. You're not getting emails. Social media is very limited in being, being active. There's a peace in terms of silence that you can't describe unless you hear it. There's no cars, there's no outside noise. And in those first few hours are very satisfying just in your own presence sometimes. And obviously I've got a kid now. Even if you do nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Even if you do nothing. Just yeah, and so it just wanted to jump in because again, I am an early rise. I didn't used to be I, in, the, in my teens. I wasn't getting out of bed till two, three p.m. Um, but now I'm I'm up at the crack of dawn. I'm making my time productive, and I'm a big. You talked about the word priorities, but I'm a big believer in prioritizing your life and understanding the key priorities. And and I, I have a task that works through that. But again, it just needed to jump in because I think a lot of people don't see the real benefit to getting up early and i just think one of them for me isn't just to be more proactive it's what you just resonated with there in terms of there's there's just a sense when you and it's it's not always easy to get up that early it's not always easy but when it becomes habitual again when it becomes an activity 
in, in terms of what we've just talked about there, there is a there's a beautiful side to it that again, I don't think you can do justice in explaining until you've experienced it. But when you said it there, I kind of smiled inside because I thought I know exactly kind of what you're talking about there. So sorry to jump in as you were speaking, but I think that was that was no, that was perfect. I love that. No, I love that. No, that's that's it's a hundred percent true. Um now, am I always getting up five in the morning? Right now, I'm getting over a cold, so I'm sleeping as much as I can. <laughs> uh, but every time, well, the thing is, if you got all four pillars in the right order, like you don't enjoy, you know, like actually lately, I've been feel like I've been kind of stepped back from a lot of the different things. But whenever I feel like, like I have a race coming up, I'm going to be getting up at five as soon as I'm better because I got to get my cardio out of the way first thing in the morning. Then I'll feel better about myself. Because what happens when you wake up like last minute when you're, I'm going to wake up at eight so I can leave the house by 830 and be at work by nine yeah. right away. The first thing you do is you start rushing. And when yeah. you, when you rush in your head, psychologically, you're messing yourself up. Like you, you start your day with rushing, but what if you wake up an hour before that? And for one hour you do just read or, or do not enjoy the silence just to get used to the fact that life isn't all about being in, in a hurry and have this mental mess of, I have all these different things to do that, that 30 minutes can do so much for you. Like psychologically, yeah. if you feel like you're behind on everything, just 30 minutes of just quiet time. They'll fix that. Yeah. No, I think what, what in terms of, um, just, just a curious question, in terms of um, routine for your mornings, obviously you've got two sons, obviously you've got a wife, you've got a business, you are very sporty. Um, in terms of the morning, do you is that structured again around which of the four is your main priority at that moment in time? Or is there, even no matter which of the four Fs is a priority at that minute in time, do you still have a sort of um, routine in the morning for a certain amount of time? Or are you just fairly flexible in terms of making sure you understand what's priori- taking priority at that point, if that makes sense? Yeah, right now it's a little bit different with boys in school and all those things. So I train more in evenings as well. Um, Monday, Tuesday. So Tuesdays we have team track. Um, this is where I get to do interval training where we do, you know, a couple of my warm up, then we do thousand, you know, K repeats or 800 meter repeats. Um, that keeps my heart rate up and, and, and just it's been one of the best things I've ever done for running is interval training. I used to now I used to just go out for like 5, 10, 15, 20 mile runs. Now that one and a half hours of intervals, that really got my, it shaved almost an hour off my marathon just by doing interval training, right? So I make time to make sure Tuesday, 5.30, like, sorry, babe, not going to be home in the evening. I'm going to be at track. Uh, So that's every Tuesday. Uh, Mondays, um, uh, I wake up and I want to help my wife prep the kids for school. I can't tell you how much joy I find in that. Even if it's, you know, waking up, sitting next to them, you know, making them breakfast, watching cartoons, relaxing them, and then saying bye and then getting my work going. I do have team meetings every morning at 8.50. So I have that 10-minute quick call with the team. Um, uh, So a lot of my working out happens in the evening. So Mondays um, evening, I take my boys to jujitsu practice. And as they're doing jujitsu right now, it's kind of, it was off season. I'm getting into the triathlon season. So I'm going to be doing a lot more of my training at like 5.30 in the morning right now. I want to get it all done before the kids wake up. But um, I'll be doing two days. So uh, Mondays and Wednesdays, I take them to jujitsu. And as they're training, I don't want to waste time. So I go to the corner, I grab a jump rope. And for one hour, I do uh, jump rope and pull-ups. Jump rope wow. and pull up. I do that for 45 minutes to an hour. Wow, it's wow, the wow, greatest wow. workout I discovered on the planet. <laughs> Literally, it's, uh, I give myself one minute, 40 seconds for each set. So 100 wow. jump ropes, six pull-ups. And then Wednesdays, I do 100 jump ropes and 20 push-ups. And I do that about sets of 25. Uh, that keeps my cardio and muscle 
uh, strength there. And then, um, again, I don't know how much of it I can keep up once I enter the triathlon season where I'm doing 15 hours a week of cardio, but we'll see. I'm going to experiment with that. Uh, but my schedule routinely changes. Um, but I love but that. I, I make sure that the hard stuff gets done. But uh, what I love about, and again, this is why um, this show is so powerful to me in, in helping people realize that it's down to you to take control and decide what you want to do with your time. And again, for a lot of people, um, they might just sit and scroll on social media whilst their kid does a sport, or they might just snooze in the car. But for yourself, you are still working on uh, something you are trying to develop on. It's again, it's the the time is there to be capitalized on. It's, it's just down to the individual to gain clarity, as you spoke about, and then put things into action. And I absolutely <laughs> really resonate. It's a priority. It's a yeah, priority. Exactly. I'm the only weird parent doing that, but to me, it's a priority. I and you know, I I, I notice my boys admire that too. Oh, look, dad is in the corner. I don't know what this is going to do to them psychologically in the future, but. Selfishly, I'm doing it for myself, but I also know that my boys are watching. Yeah, I, th- I think I think they'll be inspired by that, and I think um, that you, you I, re- I really resonate with you. If I'm honest, Ike, and I think like that made me smile and get excited inside hearing that because I could see myself doing that. But I think that would only inspire my son, Jax, in terms of seeing his dad just putting in work. And, and inspiration is a big thing for myself, and looking for inspirational figures, not to be exactly like, but to find traits and characteristics that they possess and. That, that kind of really kind of stand you out. Um, and yeah, it, I just, it's been, it's, it's great to, it's great to chat and listen because I think that, so, and again, I actually had the fear of speaking to you after reading your book and it's like, I don't know this guy, but I feel like I do. I've read his book, I've read his principles. You go so deep into your story as well, which I kind of love. Um, now there's, there's a couple of things I want to dig into. And obviously I don't want to give too much away from the book. I've said that, but, when you talk, there's a bit in it where you talk about how to control your thoughts. Now, I don't want to delve into that because I, I think just me stating that's going to make people intrigued to read the book. But I would like you to kind of share some value around that because I think for a lot of the work that I do, it's helping people understand that the thoughts that come up in your mind aren't always yourself. They've been formed from previous previous experiences. They've been formed from uh, connections you've had and other people. And, and it's really about understanding who you are and un- just taking that pause to understand what the thought is, where the thoughts come from. But from your perspective, if you were able just to shine a little bit of light on, on the thoughts that go on within the head, what value do, do you think you could give to people around that? Um. You know, a lot of thoughts are uncontrollable and I do have negative thoughts like anybody else, but I think a lot of it we also do control. Um, In all reality, there was an experiment one time I listened to by uh, Tony Robbins shared this experiment. He said they had a hundred people go up to, um, to strangers, right? And then you would hold a cold cup of coffee. You give it to the stranger, like, excuse me, can you hold my cold cup of coffee? I got to tie my shoe for a second. And then you would take your cold cup of coffee, leave, and then somebody with the clipboard would approach that person saying, excuse me, we're going to give you like 20 bucks. Can you quickly do a survey for us? I want you to read this paragraph about a narrative. It's about a person. And tell us, is this a positive person? Is it a negative person? You know, and it was a story about a, a guy, some guy doing something very neutral. And it did the same thing with 100 people, but they would give him a hot cup of coffee and tie their shoe, grab and leave. Same thing. Um, don't quote me on this, Ben, but it was something around 96% of people that touched the cold cup of coffee said, what a negative narrative. Like that wow. guy is kind of, I don't like him. 
the people that touched the warm cup of coffee said, what a warm, positive, caring person. They read the wow. same neutral story. So where am I going with this? And I actually thought about that. We don't always control our thoughts or what we think of people or what we think of interactions. Like why is the same interaction and sometimes we react differently to the same thing? Well, it's because of what's going on through our mind. So we don't really control our thoughts and mind. We, a lot of it is controlled by the environment that we create, which primes our thoughts. Therefore, we think differently under different environments, but it's the same scenario. Um, we 100% control our environments. For example, you wake up in the morning. Do you watch the news? I haven't watched the news in a decade, Ben. I don't know how long. I, I, I don't have news at home. I, I, the only news I get is from what I hear and maybe on some social media. And I'm actually really intentionally working on not doing too much social media because it's the same thing. It's news, but on local level. Um, again, is that what you jump on the first thing in the morning? You have 100% control of not. Because you knowing the earthquake about, I don't know, in Bali, how there's an economical problem in that country does not directly fix your economical problem. Uh, you, you, you thinking about, you know, who might be the next president of this country or what, you know, Putin's doing again, I, your immediate problems are within reach, which is with your spouse, your children, your friends, and your career and your income. Right. So you fix those, all, all the other stuff seems to be better. Right. Um, what do you do first thing in the morning? What do you read? What do you consume? Um, do you try to work out? See, work shouldn't be the hardest thing we do. And most people it is. And they're like, oh, this is, uh, I just don't want to go. But what if you do something harder before you go to work? Like you have 100% control of waking up hour before, do a 30-minute light workout, do something that gets a sweat going because when you go to work, work should be rest. Like yeah. this is cool. I get to rest here. And, you know, like, yeah, some people have the hard labor jobs. I understand. I sympathize. I've been there with them as well. But again, what can you do outside of work? Can you lift in the evenings? I remember when I did hard labor, I actually had more energy at the end of the day than when I do in business now because mentally I can be so drained by six o'clock. I'm like, man, that was a, why am I tired? I'm, yeah, I, yeah. I can do a five hour, you know, triathlon, but this feels more tiring, you know? So yeah, mental drainness, right? That's the thing. So I think when it comes to, you know, also wishing for like, I don't want bad luck, subconsciously you're saying bad luck, right? Yeah. I think our, our mind here is, I don't want this problem, but you were saying problem. But instead of saying, I don't want bad luck, say, here's good luck. Let's think about good luck. So count your blessings. Don't say the bad stuff internally enough times because like it or not, subconsciously you're in the bad. You take this good sentence, but I love my life when I don't have bad luck. But you just repeated bad luck in your head like 50 times by saying that. So again, it's certain subliminal messages you give yourself. I am the best. Yeah, you should believe you can be. Right. So those are very controllable things and they're very like minor tweaks. It's very cheesy too. That's why you brush your teeth one time makes no difference, but you do it for a six month period. Like, holy cow. Again, how many times can you repeat certain things in your head until six months later, you start believing in them, right? Yeah. Oh, I don't believe I can make a sale because this and that, and then all these objections. No, believe you can and count your blessings and focus on the positive. That takes time. Two days of positivity does nothing for you. Yeah. Clarity leads to action, action is to activity, which is how often, how long can you repeat it for? Then you'll have your results. Then you'll have it. Not doing it twice or three times or two weeks. That's just not how it works. And guys, that, that's why the, 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 I can't um, recommend the book enough. It, 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 even, even in just talking in terms of um, some of the processes you can literally apply and, and they're going to make a massive difference. And I think that um, one thing that we talk a lot about is 
the and, and this is my life massively. Um, I'm, I'm very much like what you've talked about there, Heike. I don't watch it. I don't just not watch the news. I'm not a massive TV watcher in general. If I watch a movie, it's either a real life documentary or something inspirational. Otherwise, I keep keep away from the screen as much as I can. It, over the last 10 years, in five years especially, I've just started reading. I didn't do too well in school. I got chucked out of high school. And But my last, from 25 plus, I've got around the right people. Uh, more positive influences, inspirational people, ambitious people. I've read, I'm reading more than I've ever read before and cutting stuff out. And I think, again, my thoughts used to be very angry. My thoughts used to be very resentful. And and this was a battle within my mind and, and it controlled me. And then I started to realise that, that that can be transitioned and there's something that I want to touch on your book um, and, and I posted up about with this really powerful but then my life started to change and it started to change when I started to control my environment, which then obviously changed the thought process as well. So I thought that was um, really powerful, kind of like with, with what you've just talked about there. But there were a few things that I just wanted to touch on in in the book itself. And again, one of the toughest things about this interview and in, in this having high comments, there's so much in the book. So I sat there thinking like, do I go through the book? Do I pick the best parts for myself? Do I pick the parts that I think will impact other people? And then I started to think um, the best thing to do is just to talk naturally to hike, let him come across. And I think that people will resonate with, with how you've spoken today um, and, and, and really embrace what this book can do for someone's life because this is life transforming stuff and people that see my journey has been mindset and self-development that's changed my life completely now there's there's a quote that i actually robbed off here um hiking and i've utilized it and people have been driving this forward and it's get comfortable with the uncomfortable um and i absolutely love it i love the theory behind it i love the philosophy and um it's i've been trying to express to people can we step outside that comfort zone everyone's got slightly different levels but it's about kind of getting comfortable with that feeling of discomfort um so i'm just going to touch on on little bits now and if you can just give a brief without giving the book away because again that's what i didn't want to do i want people to pick this book up and read it but with that 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 line there has been powerful for me um so where where do you feel you could lead someone with that in terms of value again like get comfortable with the uncomfortable yeah, I, I personally think comfort is slow death. Um, <laughs> my wife makes fun of me that I can't enjoy vacations. Like we go to vacation, she's like, you're planning your running routes and <laughs> what are you going to be doing? And I'm like, she's like, relax. I'm actually learning to be okay with having nothing. Like I, I, I haven't been for the last almost two decades of my life. I've always occupied my day with. So, so I'm learning to find times, which is really rare for me to have, you know, I, I feel like Somebody might be listening to this who doesn't have much going on, but they really want to have a lot going on. This might not be the message for you. I want you to get so busy that you're just swamped that you're looking for this 30 minutes to do nothing and be okay with the fact, oh, I, I must be doing really well to find this nothing time. And mentally, I'm in the right place to be okay with it, right? Um, again, that, that, that is uncomfortable for me. So, so I'm, I'm, wow. I'm trying to be comfortable with that piece. Oh. You know, I, I sometimes also catch myself thinking, I need to solve these problems to, be, to get comfortable. And then when I do more come and more come and more come, like I'll give you an example. Um, as we were like turned away, this is my phone with all the messages and everybody I got to get back to. Right. Um, I, I, I have to be repeating myself that I will never solve the problems. Uh, the problem is part of the, the, the pain, which is good for you. It's part of the discomfort. And as long as I'm accepting and I'm okay with it, I enjoy the process more Yeah, because it's never going to go away. It's like, it's riding a big wave. If you stop swimming, you sink. 
you outswim the wave because you're trying to do a great job. The next wave will take you because you're too tired. How do I ride the wave? I will enjoy the next five conversations more knowing it's part of the day. I will enjoy the next problem more because I know as a human being, I'm built to solve problems. And hopefully I can get better at solving problems as I solve more problems. Because when you lift the weight, the reason why the next guy can lift more than me is because he's repeated lifting that same weight more than I have. And he's added more weight and repeated that more than I have, right? So again, the activity piece is a huge, huge part of discomfort. And if you're waiting for pain and for discomfort to go away to enjoy life, you'll never enjoy it. So enjoy the pain, right? Enjoy the discomfort and look forward to it. Because when you don't, when it comes, which is most of the time, you're almost negative and you start believing that life is not good. Yeah. There's a, I posted um, a part out of your book and it, it was the movie quote. And that really stood out to me as well. Um, like if you, if you found a good movie that you really wanted to watch, you wouldn't skip to the last 10 minutes. You'd want to see everything that happened, all of the, the, the adversity through the, through the film. And you want to be a part of that. You want to watch it. You want to see it. You want to feel it. And that's it's the exact same with with your goals and your aspirations and your life as a whole. It's like you're rushing to get to the, the pain. end. Or the, yeah, but you're yeah. you're skipping so much. So again, there's so much that resonated with me. It, it was untrue, and I think um, th- this is a powerful one. Um, and and again, this is with, with you speaking so much about the relationship you had with your mom. I, I kind of wanted to bring this one in, and again, I posted this one up on my social as well. And um, it, it talks about the power of your will in the word faith. And um, it, it's a real big one for me because I think that the, the, the line that you put where the sick person, the sick person given a month to live, lives for another 20 years. And, and this kind of resonated with something that's happened with my mum. But the, the, the point behind that is that science is an unbelievable thing and it's helped us evolve in, in being such a, an unbelievable place in 2022 um, as humanity. But also there are things that are proving science it, 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 that faith is so strong, like belief and faith, these words um, can actually outweigh any scientific research it, it, to, the, to the point of, of unknown, if that makes sense. And the, the paragraph you dropped in, in in the book around that was kind of really powerful. But I wanted to ask you a question. If I've found that through something that's happened to, to someone that I love to really make me realize that, that faith and the power of the mind is so powerful on the body and on life as a whole, where did that come from from yourself, if you don't mind me asking? Like, to for someone to really believe in, in, in that statement – it's, it, I really love it, but it's just interesting to hear where, where that came from, from yourself. Um, my mom, yeah, my mom has tattooed faith and belief in God into my brain that right. at the end of the day, uh, everything that's being done to us that might be something we disagree with or we don't like is part of a greater plan that we might not understand. We might not even understand this lifetime. Uh, we will eventually. Um, I had a friend of mine who was uh, who got diagnosed with cancer. The toughest thing in her life. I mean, you're dying. Like, what can get tougher than that? And she was doubting, like, why? Why me? Why now? Young girl in her late 20s, you know, what's happening? Um, for a month, we talked daily. We talked daily. She would, you know, come out to runs with me and we would just talk about, you know, God's plan. 
God's plan, you know, have faith, have faith. It's, you might not understand why you're going through this. I hope you do soon. But in the meantime, you have to just ask for guidance and know through this pain and adversity and you going to radiation appointments and all this, you go to a room of people where they're literally dying. They're sitting next to you, waiting to go into this room to get more radiation. And like, you're literally touching death at this point. I can't tell you how humbling that was to go back and be like, did I just complain about my coffee, not having enough sugar? Or like, are you like, really? Like, like America does a really good job of spoiling you, Ben. Like if I'm sure most countries like the same thing, like if you get entitled, you get very spoiled. So it was really humbling for me to realize that too. But you know, she overcame it. She beat it. She was strong. She was this example for me too, because I was trying to be strong with her and for her. And, and then, and then she's like, hike, it makes sense. Like it, again, I, I, I have a chance it might come back. It was, I still don't understand why exactly, but I can't tell you the amount of good that came out of it. I can't tell you the amount of good that she had afterwards. Like these things that she was waiting for 10, 15 years, within a year and a half period, it was like, boom, 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 everything. And then she's like, if this was it, then I get the sign. I get it. I got it. And thank you for being there during this rough moment because I realized God was almost preparing to give me all these good things and all this power. But I I had to stay strong during a vulnerable time. So I think we're being tested. I think we're being tested. for the same reason. If my child comes to me and says, oh, dad, I'm going to be a deadbeat. I'm not going to do nothing and just... I'm going to play video games in my room. You're going to be okay with them. Of course I'm not. I want my child to be like LeBron James. I want my other child to be, you know, a genius that gets a Nobel Prize. But I also understand for them to achieve world-level achievements, they're going to have to go through a lot of crap, a lot of training, a lot of sleepless nights, blood, sweat, and tears. So yeah. I'm going to have to watch him suffer to get great results in life. Wow. I think God does similar things to us in our life through very similar ways. We just have to have faith that there's – uh, you know, the darkest nights produce the brightest stars. It's always think, light at the end of the tunnel. I think that's my favorite part from from speaking to you tonight. I truly do. And I think um, the, there's such power in, in what you've just said. And I love how you then related it over to um, your kids in achieving um, success in, in, in life or in, in, in the job opportunities and careers that you could go into. But again, like that, 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 that's, again, I, I think... In terms of your just just a quick interesting question on that. In terms of your kids' upbringing now, where do you sit in terms of your influence on them in terms of mindset? So we we talk about all of the principles around mindset and all the principles around life as a whole. And you've 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 agreed that there's certain aspects of the educational system that are important, a hundred percent. But then there is a lot of, in my view, a lot of life skills that aren't taught in school, which is needs to be worked so especially in the uk um life skills and just understanding a lot of what we're talking about now just isn't touched upon where do you feel your approach will be as a father there do you think you're going to be quite strong in helping them see the philosophies that you have or do you think there are going to be times when you're going to just sit back and think like kind of your father did a little bit to you I'm I'm gonna let them ride this little wave. Where where do you sit with that yeah. now? Because I think as generations go on, dads do slightly differ just because you remember how you were cheated. You can see the positive, but you also remember the negative. And it's so I, as a father, yeah. as a new father, I'm interested in this question, especially as because I look up to you so much in terms of your approach to mindset set and what you've achieved and what you've done with the book as well. 
just an interesting question. Where do you sit? It, again, if as long as you don't mind answering the question as well, because I appreciate it's quite close to home. Of course. But no, no, no. Where, I... where do you sit with that in terms of now your approach with your kids as they grow? Because I, I can guarantee a lot of what you've put in your book would impact so many children's lives, it's untrue. But I can guarantee mm-hmm. none of this is even brought up in a school environment. Yeah. So where do you sit in terms of, of helping your kids with this? Or again, is it going to be a lesson learned? I, I think maybe two to three part answer to that one. First one is, I don't know. I haven't raised successful <laughs> children yet. I love them to death. They're amazing. They're in my phone background. They're 90% of the photos in my, in my, in my book. Um, if I'm able to raise two boys, one of them becomes an NBA star. The other one becomes a Nobel Prize winner. I don't know. And I'll write a book saying how to raise successful kids. I haven't <laughs> done it yet. Um, but it just, just from my own lessons, you know, one time I was listening to a very successful doctor give a speech about he had five kids, five boys. And every single one of his boys were very successful. And, you know, none of them followed his footsteps. Yeah, one of them was a physician. The other one was a lawyer. The other one, you know, like all these different industries. But they were like top 2% of every completely separate industries of what they were doing. And the interviewer asked this, this doctor, he's like, so tell me this. Like, what did you do? Like, how do you get all five to be very successful? Again, there's a lot of moving parts. But one thing he said that really stood out to me, and I'm like, man, I, that's one thing I also had growing up. So it makes sense why I have this unconditional love for the world and I love serving. And when you serve, you become successful. Um, he said unconditional love. If you ask one thing, he's like, I work very hard to make sure if you ever ask my five kids, do mommy and daddy love you? They'd be like, are there parents that don't? Right. Does daddy love you? He's like, yeah, of course my dad loves me. Like, I mean, he gets mad at me. I get in trouble, but like are there parents that don't like to the point their kids were almost dumb to not to understand what lack of love from parental figure is. And I realized love does cure a lot of like, if, if you do, if you don't have to get philosophical and have all these definitions of school and all this stuff, uh, common pattern of successful people. I know I wouldn't say it's their degree. Actually, I just talked to a guy this morning, multimillionaire dropped out of high school. He didn't finish like 11th grade. Um, I also have a friend who PhD, master's degree, like certifications that wouldn't fit on the wall, still successful, right? So it wasn't that, but I know a common pattern amongst most people that I admire. Uh, they grew up loved, accepted. Wow. Um, the ones, people I've fired, people I haven't hired, people I've coached out of my business, common pattern, and it's been dozens, by the way, common pattern, uh, some kind of a abuse from the parental figure some kind of lack of love there's lack of relationship and one of the things i look for right now when i interview people for jobs what's your relationship like with your uncle your mom your dad if i notice that's because i've built a team right now and all of them have great relationship with their parents they get along similar values not all the same similar but they tend to be easier to coach easier to mentor they're easier to work with they you know, talk to customers better. They are more receptive. They're more positive, more driven, more coachable. with the PDCC factor I talk about in the, in the book as well. So yep. I don't know. I think if my main focus is going to be to make sure my boys feel like we will never reject them. And I think psychologically there's power to that thinking. Here's what I think about it. I've always known if I go out to the world and I fail, no matter how bad I fail, I'm always accepted back home. Always. And knowing I have that bodyguard of accepted love from my parents, I can always come back to my father. He will always accept me. Uh, I think that gives you a sense of courageousness that no education does. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think love. 
in my opinion, if, if you treat your children with unconditional love, no matter what they know, they're accepted. Uh, but you're, you know, show strict parent, you can still whoop them if they're not behaving, right? Uh, and also, you know, that piece that I learned from my childhood that daddy's not going to solve my issues. Yeah. And I better be careful what problems I bring up to them because they're just going to tell me to be tougher. Um, you know, I, it's, it's different era my father was raised in. Um, but I think not solving your children's problem, letting them fail on their own versus you doing it the right way. Well, you'll learn to do it the right way because you had failed at some point. Why would you take the opportunity from your children to learn the way you did, right? So I think there's a little bit of a, um, you know, you love your kids too much problem with that as well. It's not really love. You're disabling your kids versus enabling them. So you enable them by letting them fail too. So it's like, how much do you really love your kid? Do you hate him because you're letting them fail? No, you yeah. love them and you're almost crying and watching them fail, but also you, they know that you love them. So I, I, I don't know. I don't have that figured out yet, but hopefully in 10 years we can talk again and I can tell you my kids are, <laughs> you know, they got MBA scholarships in college and you name it, you know, so we'll, we'll talk about it at some point. But I, th I, th I think even just the, 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 the way you've explained that and you can see where your values lie. And I think that's a big thing for myself in terms of, even if you don't know the answers, but you're living to the values that you hold, um, you're going to be happy with, with with the outcome because you know you stuck to something that means something to yourself. I think values are a bit of, are something that's really transitioned my life in terms of growing up. I didn't know what values were. I still held them. They were just the wrong values. Um, but as soon as I started to understand that I could, I could pick my values and I could live to them and I could align with them and create rules for them. And it really started to transition. And I think, like you said, your values kind of shine through, especially with love. Um, but the way you've described it as well, um, in terms of still having that quite, um, just an ethos of, like you say, letting them fail or making them work hard or showing them what's wrong and what's right. And I think uh, that came across as, there's something that I just want to touch upon uh, lastly, because I think this is an interesting one. And, um, you talk, you split it into two. So you've got the the unhealthy competitive syndrome where obviously now we're touching upon what people could see is, is the word ego. So again, ego is talked about, it's been brought and highlighted quite a lot now in the people talk about the good ego and the bagged ego. And, the, and there's a lot of um, talk around you need competitiveness um, and, and having an ego isn't a bad thing. So it's more your your take, and again, I'm trying not to take too much from the books for for a reader to, um, to to give away too much. But this one was really interesting to me as well because it's not that you're talking about not being competitive, but you're pulling it away from trying to compete with others and more kind of looking inside towards yourself. And and within that, when you talk about that, where do you think ego sits within that, and what is your view on on ego as, as a whole? It's just something I'd like to to, to hear yourself on. Yeah, so that chapter on, you know, UCS and HCS, the unhealthy competitive syndrome and healthy competitive syndrome. And I wrote that about myself. Not that I don't have unhealthy competitive syndrome, but I talked, it was more of a conversation with the reader of how I tried to take the unhealthy competitive syndrome and convert it into healthy competitive syndrome. Um, if you're competitive, you're going to be unhealthy competitive. Like, you can't get that out of your system. And it, it was to the point where I was losing enough sleep, like, why is that person doing better than me? They shouldn't, right? We've got two arms, a brain, two legs, you know, similar opportunity. So I should be better than them. And I can't tell you how bad that was long-term. Like it's good to get you off the ground, like the, to light the fire, but I was losing sleep over it. I was un unhealthy competitive as in, I was in the wrong place in my head because I didn't feel right. 
I'm like, is this, if this is what it's like to be competitive, I should not be competitive at all, which is like formula to failure. No, you should be competitive. Uh, competitive to, yeah, be better than the other one, but don't lose sleep over when you're not. The question is, did you give your best? Yeah. If you didn't give your best and they're better than you, lose sleep over that because you need to go back and give your best. But if you give your best and you're still not, maybe you're just not genetically built to do the, like I'm naturally not a great swimmer. Then like when we get in the water, like at the last uh, Ironman race, I, I came out of the water in 37 minutes, which is half mid pack. Okay. On the bike, I passed like 300 people. And on the run, I passed another like 200. So I came in like top 7% out okay. of 1800, which was pretty impressive to me. But then I'm like, oh crap, if I swim 10 minutes quicker, I would have been top 3%. But I just, what am I getting paid for this? I'm spending money doing these races, you know, like, yeah. but I'm just being competitive. And I went back and I said, you know what? I gave my best in the pool. I am 205 pounds. I can't swim that well. These 160 pound people are just cutting through the through the water. I, I have broad shoulders. I got huge arms. I can't swim. I just, I'm not built for it. Anyway, but 37 minutes is decent. But knowing the fact that is the best I can do, I'm comfortable and I'm content and that's healthy competitive versus now I'm competing against this other person. I'll get them on the bike. Even if I don't, I have other things to be thankful for. You know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good businessman. I'm a, I'm a good, loyal husband. I'm a, I'm a good father. Like, do they all have what I have? Like, sometimes I have to ask myself the question, if this is their job full time, they better be better than me, right? So there is that unhealthy, you know, piece. And also I've seen some, you know, peers, you know, they have a waterfront house and I don't. But if he's in Montana, waterfront house is probably a million bucks. Here in Seattle, waterfront house is $11 million, you know? So <laughs> again, am I competing? Oh, he did it. I didn't. So it got to that point where at one point I was like, he's got a better car than me. He's got a bigger house than me. He has more employees than me. And I was not in a good place. Very unhealthy. But when I realized, did I give my best? If I didn't, it's a concern. But if I did, I learned to have this self-talk and saying, it's okay. It's okay. I still get a little bit of that, to be honest. You know, growing up poor, you know, I have some kind of a post-traumatic stress disorder with competition because of this kid that was thrown in America without the language, without money, without connections, without friends. Uh, it's, I think it's an ongoing thing. Most competitive people will have unhealthy. I think we just have to realize like, if I give my best, didn't beat the other person, that's completely okay with me. So I start accepting the fact that I, I'm not, I'm not going to be the best at everything I do. But as long as I gave my best for the given circumstances, it became much healthier. I started sleeping better and I started accepting the fact that it's okay, man. I'm not, I can't do everything. You know, it's get some sleep. And just on that, because again, it kind of fits in with what you were talking about, which is how often do you need to kind of like have a word with yourself? So obviously you, you've been very open there that things still do sneak in, but it, 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 what point do you now know your triggers? At what point do you now know you just need to take a step back and maybe reassess? Do you take time to reevaluate certain aspects in, in principles or are you just that kind of attuned to everything now that mentally you, you understand and can, can work in a flow basis or do you sometimes do need just to sit back and reevaluate things and, and, and just take a different perspective? Like where are you in terms of life as a whole and just being very aware of yourself and the things that affect you and just making sure you are the most productive um, and happy you can be? You know, I've found, um, I've found my peace comes from training, physical training, like something about getting my heart rate up to 155, 165 and keeping there for like a few hours. Like that is my mantra. That's my, you know, praying in my head. I spend a lot of time in my head and 
you know, and also when you're doing some like grilling hardcore, like bike or running or, you know, swimming workouts, you're just focusing on the pain to be a little bit less, you know, so you're less distracted. Uh, there's less distractful thoughts and you're just literally spending time with that devil on your shoulder. Like, like the devil's telling you to quit. Right. Yeah. So that's my therapy. Like if, if, if somebody might be like, if I don't go to my psychologist once a week, I'm crazy. You know, I have to go to my psych to me. Like if I don't spend eight to 10 hours a week in my head, uh, during training, I feel like everything else starts getting to me. Everything else gets tougher than it should be. So I almost have to address the devil through exercise. Uh, when I don't, um, I, I, I still find myself difficult to um, be content with certain things. So this unhealthy competitive syndrome kicks in, you know, a little bit of jealousy might kick in, you know, this unhealthy competitive syndrome and uh, judging. And so I, I work out a lot of my problems in my head that I have. And I, I think every human does um, in fitness. Fitness is what helps me control everything. To throw a curveball at you now, which I'm not trying to do to trick you up, I am actually very intrigued in your answer just because I'm a lot like yourself. I'm massively into fitness, and fitness has been a big outlet for myself. But if it came to the point you got severely injured, not life-threatening, but enough to stop you training, where do you think your focus would then go? And I'm not, I'm, I honestly, I'm not asking this to trick you up. I'm intrigued in this because... I've got an operation mm. coming up on a, on a stomach hernia and it will put me out of training for potentially three to four months, especially kind of the training that I do. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm now making sure I've got something in place to direct my focus because I know how mm. much training does for me, kind of like as you've explained there. So right. it's just really interesting to understand if, and, and pray to God this doesn't happen, but if you were to uh, injure yourself, where do you think your focus would then go to keep you mm. in the place where training gives you? You know, I like it's a little like when my ankle hurts, I bike more. When my I'm pulling a quad, I swim more. You know, when I get sick of that, I lift more. But it's different when you have a surgery, right? I had I had COVID twice. Nice. So first time I was out for like two weeks, but it wasn't a long period of time for me to realize it was enough for me to be like it's temporary. Yeah. Like knowing the fact that I can, but also uh, audiobooks and and books. Uh, literature, literature, even though I'm not the most literate person uh, reading. Uh, one of my inspirations to write my book was because I read so many books that I'm like, you know, I've got so much information I can, I've implemented it actually works. So let me say it in my own words. Um, uh, it does reset me to read a good story, learn a good lesson. You know, uh, education failed me. I failed education, but learning should never stop. Like that school is always in session. So when I feel like I'm not learning um, and I feel like I'm not physically maintaining or moving forward. Those are two hard places for me to be. I, I guess I haven't lost both at the same time to know. Uh, but I know if I cut out, you know, good information, good positive information, self, self-help literature like that. And, and fitness, if I take those two away, um, my wife would probably answer the question for you. She'll think I'll go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that answer. Um, uh, Hike, it's been unbelievable to speak to yourself. And this question, I think uh, the answer from yourself is going to be the most interesting out of anyone that I ask, because obviously you've written a book on mindset. So I kind of finished by asking the get guests to give their definition of the word mindset. And, and just to give you a bit of an understanding of why I do this again, it links back to what I talked about at the start, which was 
I don't feel enough people understand the power of the mindset, hence the title of your book and why it's resonated so much. Mindset for so many top successful people is their key principle. Yet for so many people, mindset is either misunderstood or not placed as a key priority. So I'm trying to raise awareness. So if you could kind of sum mindset up in your own personal definition, like how would you, I appreciate your book does this? So guys, um, I'm, I'm going to talk about his book, but uh, Hike's book before he finishes. But just to speak now, how would you put a personal perspective on mindset to show how important it is to yourself or how important it is to help someone improve the quality of their life? So I'll, I'll end it with a quote, Ben. Um, Love it. Our mindset is a gift. It, it's not a curse. It can be, right? It's a gift. It's a present. Uh, and the quote goes something like this. To live in fear is to live in the future. We're afraid of what can happen. To live in regret is to live in the past. Could have, should have, would have. To live happily and enjoy the moment is to be present. And I think, you know, coming out of that quote, a lot of opportunities in life are in front of us. They're not in the past. Those are all lessons. And they're not in the future because we don't control the future. We only control what's in front of us, the opportunities. As in, I'm here next to my spouse. Am I going to be on social media or am I going to take advantage of having a conversation? I'm here with my children. Am I going to be with my children or is my head at work? Right? So if you can teach yourself to keep your mind where your feet are, if you're at work, you're at work. You're at home, you're at home. If you're at the gym, you're at the gym. If you're with your friends, you're with your friends. That opportunity of life tends to present itself more often than people who are present. And mindset is at its strongest when you're opportunistic to take advantage of what's happening versus having your mind wander to what you don't control in places that you don't belong. Uh, and I think mindset is all about being in the moment. If you're in the moment, you're going to have a lot stronger mindset. You'll have more opportunities. And overall, you'll be a lot more successful. Boom. Just like that. Absolutely amazing answer. Um, and I absolutely love it. And I think that um, being present is a, is a big thing for myself. And again, the the I, it was it was it was really interesting that I was reading Hike's book, and the first message I sent to him was just to show appreciation at that point of, of how impactful it was being. Um, and and then from that came the opportunity to ask Hike to to come on the show, which which this is a massive passion for myself. Like this self development and mindset has completely transformed my life. Um, but for, for me to have read your book in it, to have an impact on my life and to be applying principles, which I'm quite open about in terms of what I'm applying from your book. Um, and I can't recommend it enough guys in terms of, um, in terms of the, the journey that hike's been on from where he, where he's been to where he is now. Um, but then also tonight is what I think has been really refreshing to hear is like you said, whilst writing the book, there's been, there was so many there was so much adversity along the way of writing the book and it, and it went to three years from one and you had to assess it and you had to ask people. And I think that just shows the development and the honesty from yourself as well. Um, but guys, the, 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 basically the book is the power of mindset. Um, he talks about uh, the four F's in terms of family, fitness, friendship, and finances, which is a 25% split. But as he's talked about tonight, it's understanding which one needs more priority at a certain time. He goes into a lot more depth and also he shares 14 life-changing principles on how to achieve true happiness and success. And one last thing I want to talk about, which I love about this book, is before the chapter itself, um, you break it down um, in terms of what to expect within the chapter. And what I love about that is when I read when I when I read through, 
I then go back and, and look. So basically put goals of the chapter. And so I'll get to the end and then I'll go mm -hmm. back. And it's kind for. of like I use it as a task. I, I'll, I'll go back and think, right, okay, so did you understand this bit? Can you remember that bit? And if I can't, it, it's like, right, okay, let's go back in and, and now understand it. So I think the way you've done that helps. So the, the last thing I'll say to people is it's very easy to read a book, think it's very, really valuable, really agree with it and resonate with it. And then before you know it, it's been put down and your life's pulled you back and you're back to where you were. But for, for myself, the biggest change was when I started to learn information and apply it. And again, if you read Hype's book, what I do recommend doing is once you've read a chapter, go back to the beginning where he set the goals of the chapter out and just go through the points labeled and just think, have I taken this in? Have I understood how I could apply it to my life? And I think if you're able to do that, guys, this is going to make a massive difference in your life. Um, and again, I say that from, from the bottom of my heart, I truly do. Um, and all I can say again is, is, is hi, massive thank you for coming on the show. Like it, this blew me away that you gave me the opportunity to speak to yourself. Um, and, uh, I know my producer in the background, um, is going to chop up some absolute beautiful, magical moments from this talk so we, that we can repurpose, um, and hopefully get more people into coming, coming and listen to what you said today. So just want to say massive thank you to yourself hi, for coming on. I'm honored. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate giving the opportunity to share. It means a lot. You're an absolute star. So I'm just going to drop drop hike off, guys, so I can just uh, just end the uh, end end the second show. Wow, guys, unbelievable! Um, second episode number two done. Um, in in an absolute phenomenal guest to have on, and I think that um, I went out. Uh, what I've tried to do, and just to give you a little bit of an understanding on this, like you might see that I've, I've trained quite intensely before both of the shows. And I've done it for a reason. I've done it to kind of really zone me in and get me into focus about why mindset is, is so important to myself. Um, and I'm, I'm just such a big believer on capitalizing on life in as, in as many ways as I can. And coming into this tonight, um, again, there was a bit of nerves in me tonight, if I'm honest with you, because the book, I'm not lying when I tell you how important and impactful the book has been to me, both important because my mum gave it to me, impactful because as you've heard tonight, hey, uh, hikes explanations and um, understanding and definitions and the way he's worked it in to his world is powerful, man. Mindset is such a powerful thing and it is so undervalued. It's untrue. But again, I'm a big believer is Liam is, and we push this into the B1 mindset community a lot. It's about the people you're around. It's about the things that you read. It's about the things that you watch. It's about the things that you hear. So again, just question yourself tonight when you go to bed again, what, what am I chasing in life at this minute in time? Can you write those down? What am I focusing on? What are my priorities? And then just ask yourself the question, are the people around me the right people? Are the things that I'm reading the right things? Are the things that I'm watching the right things, listening to? These questions are critical. And if you can answer honestly to those questions, guys, I can guarantee the answer is either going to help you continue to be successful in whatever area that may be, or it's going to help you think, reassess and think, I actually may need to make some changes. And if you need to make some changes, guys, it's all in your hands. It's always, as I say, it's down to yourself. Um, I can't thank everyone enough for tuning in, um, as always, and for commenting and engaging, um, and also just being a part of this. Again, this is a community, guys, and, I, and uh, me and Liam can't thank you enough from, from the B1 Mindset community um, to the outreach of B1 supporters that are out there. This is about sharing information that hopefully will make a massive impact on your life. So, guys, um, again, thank you for tuning in, and um, we'll see you next episode. Big love, guys. Thank you.
We hope you enjoyed this B1 Mindset podcast and the Mindset Tune-Up show. Remember that you can take part in the conversation and join our community members by subscribing to our YouTube channel. And the links to this, Hake's book, and the B1 Mindset website can be found in the show notes. Until our next episode, take care, and we can't wait to speak soon.